January 23rd, 2020, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and I'm joined by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, good to talk to you again. Uh, coming off of the Cleveland Sports Awards last night, uh, it was a, a pretty quiet night as, as, as far as uh, you know Indian stuff goes, but the Indians and the Dolan family received the Lifetime Achievement Award at the event. Uh, Paul Dolan there on hand to to speak to uh, to the fans after receiving the award. Just your impressions of the Indians and uh, you know taking home that award for the Dolan family at the Greater Cleveland Sports Awards. Yeah, I thought uh, it's probably you know you think back like uh, the timing wasn't the best, but the award was certainly uh, well deserved. I think uh, you're talking about the one of the most stable ownership groups in not only in Cleveland in professional sports, but throughout the country. Um, uh, they, uh, you know, they have a, they, they, they've, you know, shown the ability to, uh, you know, hire good people uh, and good baseball people, especially get out of their way and let them do the, do their job. And the proof of that is that there's Indians executives all over the big leagues that, you know, got their start here under the Dolan, Dolan ownership. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, they've, they've owned the team for, this is their 21st year of ownership and, uh, longest in, uh, franchise history. And we're talking about a, you know, a charter member of the American league that goes back to 1901. So, you know, I think this is a family that's rooted deeply in Cleveland, you know, deep roots in Cleveland. They grew up in, you know, I think is Larry Dolan grew up in Cleveland Heights, uh, you know, so. I think when Dick Jacobs sold it uh, to to the, you know, found an owner to buy the uh, to buy the Indians in 2000, uh, he found you know he he couldn't he found the right guy. <laughs> the only drawback is you know obviously payroll and uh, you know that and they're going through that crunch right now and it's you know I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on the ball club, a lot of pressure on the players the uh, manager, the front office to, uh, to pull, you know, to kind of pull another rabbit out of the hat. And, uh, you know, their operating procedures, they don't want to take it down to the bare bones. Uh, They want to try to stay competitive. And that's a very, very difficult thing to know, to do, as you know, Joe. Right. For all of the, uh, the positives and the community involvement and, you know, the, the dedication to Cleveland, as as they they did show last night uh, in in the little video presentation uh, before giving the award to Paul Dolan, uh, like you said, the not having the deep pockets that some other ownership groups or um, you know teams around the league have, uh, they, they mentioned that owning the Indians is the family business now for the Dolans. Uh, that that's where the, the it's the primary source of uh you know uh you know business for this this family and that's not the case for every owner around major league baseball a lot of them you know make their money somewhere else and and their their ownership in a stake in a, in a ball club is is sort of a side deal um not the case for the dolans and and that's a two-sided coin like you said uh you get the the, the, the tremendous community support and dedication to, uh, you know, outreach and giving back 
but you you also don't have the deep pockets that the other the other clubs have to to sort of pour money into the baseball operations of the of the club. Uh, Paul Dolan uh, made his his remarks upon uh, accepting the award. Uh, the, the the thing that stood out to me uh, from that was he did uh, sort of almost make light of the the Francisco Lindor situation. Uh, the story that came out. Uh, in the athletic last year where the quote from Paul Dolan was, uh, you know, uh, what do you think of Francisco Lindor? Well, enjoy him while you almost enjoy him sort of while you can was the, the underlying theme there. Um, and Paul Dolan said something to the effect last night of, I know I'm going to enjoy Francisco Lindor, but I can't tell you guys to. And, you know, people sort of chuckled, but then sort of shot him sort of a look like, I can't believe you're, you're, you're making fun of this right now. Uh, a lot of people are really upset that you you can't sign Francisco Lindor. So, yeah, to, to me, it was a, a, a well-deserved honor. Uh, like you said, the timing could have been a little suspect, but uh, th- this these awards tend to be things like, hey, they they, they pick up the phone and say, hey, um, uh, you're getting the Lifetime Achievement Award this year, and, and it's like uh, they sort of had to take it, I guess. Uh, maybe that was the case in this. I don't know, but uh, – yeah, I this close to Tribe Fest as well. You know, Tribe Fest is coming up in a week, and, and fans are going to be out. I the, the natives are restless. I, I think is a is a good way to describe the the fans around here right now uh, re- regarding the Dolans and the Indians. Yeah, I think you know Paul was you know he was I you know I like the fact that he was uh, visibly you know moved by the uh, by the video you know showing his family's history, buying the club. Showing his dad, uh, you know, catching the first pitch from uh, from Dick Jacobs, you know, as his first game as owner, and um, I think he he tried to tried to exit with a joke there about you know the end of his speech with Lindor, and it kind of I think he probably missed the mark, but you know, I got to tell you, I mean, he's been honest from the start. This, if when when Lindor leaves, it's not gonna. He's not gonna. The departure isn't gonna sneak up on anybody. <laughs> One right. way or the other, you know. I don't know if Lindor's gonna play his last two years here. If he's gonna get traded at the deadline this year, traded uh, in the off season after the two thousand se- two thousand twenty season. But we, you know, we know how this story ends, and uh, right. you know, it's not like uh, we've been deceived by smoke and mirrors here. Well, and something you you just mentioned or just brought up, you know, kind of strikes me uh, about the pressure that the the organization as a whole, but the players and and even the manager uh, are, are going to feel this year to to sort of uh, you know thread the needle is always a, a a way it's described, but you know sort of navigate this this landscape without the giant payroll, without the big name players, uh, or, or or high price free agents coming in. Uh, I, I wonder. I, I, at least my hope is that with that pressure doesn't come, uh, you know, blaming the manager if the team doesn't achieve those 90 wins uh, again this year. Uh, they talked about what a valuable asset uh, Terry Francona has been over the last seven years. And, uh, boy, it, it would be a real shame if this got dumped on on Tito if things go south this year. Uh, and and you wind up losing uh, a guy like Terry Francona as the leader of your fran- uh, of your team. Yeah, I don't see that happening, Joe. I think right. uh, he he's won for seven straight years here. Uh, 
you know, I, and I, I think he, uh, you know, he, he what his extension is, uh, I think this extension is through 2022. They've, they've 22 up or 23, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I think, I think Tito will be safe. Um, the question is to me, you know, we've seen them in these, in this run here, this, you know, three or four or five year run here. I mean, it's a seven year winning streak, but you know, when they've been in the postseason, the last in contention for the last four years, if, if, if they're in contention come mid season, come the deadline, July 31st, and they don't make a move, that is the tip off that, you know, okay, we're pulling in our horns and we're, we're going, we're, you know, we're going to dance with who, who brought us, you know, the, right. but because, you know, the last four years, they've always added help uh, to try and get them to October and, and drive them deep into October. So, uh, well, let, I, you know, that's, that's going to be a tip off to me. All right. Uh, other impressions from the, the sports awards last night, Roberto Perez, one of four finalists for the, uh, professional athlete of the year award that went to Stipe Miocic, uh, the UFC heavyweight champion. Uh, certainly Roberto Perez, a, a deserving nominee in that category. Oh yeah, definitely. But uh, I think Cipe, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Roberto wants to wrestle Cipe for for the award. <laughs> no, I, I think you, you're, Cipe you're does, well. I, you know, I love that guy, man. I think he's the best. I mean, what a what a what a rough profession that is. I, you know, right. I hope Cipe, you know, maybe defends it and goes out on top. I, I hope you know, there's not always the, those comeback stories that you always see from right. boxers. I know he's a UFC guy, but geez, oh man, that's a, that's a well, tough racket he's in. And probably my, one of my favorite moments from his interaction, accepting that award was they, they mentioned, you know, a third, a possible third fight with Daniel Cormier, uh, the, the guy who he, he won the title from. And Stipe, as soon as they mentioned his name, Stipe was having none of it. He wanted nothing to do with talking about that guy. He's like, he literally said on stage, I hate that guy. And they, and, and Mike Golick, who's the MC from ESPN was like, well, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to follow that up. Yeah, and then Golick <laughs> just backed away from him. Yep. It was like, <laughs> wow. Okay. That was fun. I, I saw, I saw, you know, were you there when Stipe was taking BP when, you know, he was buddies with the, yeah, I saw him hit a home. I saw him hit yeah. the home. Run, yeah. He's a big dude, man. Mm -hmm. You get next to him. He's, 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 wow. Right. Uh, so that was the Professional Athlete of the Year Award. Uh, also the Indians and really the city of Cleveland, but, uh, you know, the Indians in particular were uh, the recipients of the Cleveland Sports Moment of the Year Award. And rather than single out one moment, they sort of recognized the All-Star Week as this overwhelming success uh, for for Cleveland, uh, you, you know, you and I both covered the, uh, the the activities in in and around the, the ballpark that weekend, and heard a lot of people from outside of the city, from Major League Baseball, from other clubs, remark about how this was the way that you really wanted to see a an All Star game run. Uh, it was a sort of a model, uh, you know, for for the league, perfect uh, in in almost every way. So. Uh, Shane Bieber, who won the American or the, won the All Star Game MVP for the American League during the game, uh, accepted the award via a uh, pre-taped video. Uh, Chris Antonetti was on stage and gave some remarks. 
um, it was it was nice just to to, to sort of relive all the activities, uh, not just at the ballpark, but in the community surrounding uh, that that sort of encompassed the All Star Week here in in 2019. Uh, Chris Antonetti, you know, he he brought up the Carlos Carrasco stand up to cancer moment as something that he found very poignant, uh, and a lot of people really reacted to. So that was uh, a, you know sort of the the way to the highlight to to sort of cap off the night was that sports moment of the year award, and that was really. Uh, all thanks in part to uh, the efforts that the Indians put forth. Yeah, the, uh, when it comes to the all-star games, the Indians know what they're doing. What They've held like, what, six or seven six of them? Six yeah. Six of them, and, uh, you know, that that was a great week and a great – just a great game. Um, Beaver MVP, that, you know, stand-up to cancer moment. It still takes my breath away when, when I when I see that with – you know, Carlos Carrasco there surrounded by his all-star teammates and, and uh, uh, Francona and just the way, you know, I remember Santana putting his arm around him and you know, it was, it was just so cool. You know, it was just, and I, I know we were standing, we were sitting next to each other. I, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to see uh, uh, Carrasco on the field and it just kind of blew me away that this guy, you know, what he was going through, what he was fighting and, and here he is, you know, just, uh, it was, it was really a remarkable moment. And, you know, you know, I had, uh, like you were saying, Joe, like MLB officials, you know, even the commissioner told, <clears throat> told, uh, you know, just at, at his, uh, you know, briefing with the BBWA reporters, you know, just to said, you know, complimented Cleveland and, and people were just saying it was like, you know, Cleveland's not a huge city, but it's almost a perfect size for an all-star game. You can walk to the venues you know, everything is pretty close and it's just, and they've done it so often that they've got it down, man. And just a great event. All right. Uh, any other impressions from the evening? Uh, I know uh, besides the fact that they need to put a space heater uh, back in the media <laughs> workroom uh, at, at the Renaissance hotel there, a couple of us uh, reporters were, were freezing ourselves, but uh, uh, you know, I did happen to, it, it's, it's really interesting for me making my way down to the, the cocktail hour uh, reception before the, the actual uh, dinner gets underway because that's where you can get up close and sort of interact with a lot of the presenters and the award uh, finalists. Uh, big, big thrill for me was getting up close and personal with Mark Price, uh, who was there, cap, former Cavalier, great. Uh, he was a, a presenter at the, the, the ceremony there and uh, it was just really nice to, you know, shake his hand. Uh, and I'm taller than he is, so it was, like, nice to stand next to the guy. Uh, you, then you, you walk by Jim Jones, and he towers over you by, like, you know, three feet. So, uh, it, you know, a 13-year-old uh, Joe would have really appreciated the opportunity to, to walk around that, that cocktail hour and, and, you know, just be in the room with Mark Price, much less shake his hand and just say, hey, thanks for, uh, you know, for – for being that guy that I sort of looked up to, uh, you know, as I was growing up playing basketball. Yeah. I love the vibe there, you know, just, it kind of Cleveland kind of glams out. Everybody's dressed up. It's, it just feels like a, an important night, you know, and I, and it, for some reason, I don't think there's, there's enough of that in Cleveland connected with the, you know, the, the sports scene. And, and you've got to really credit for, you know, the, the, the greater Cleveland sports commission, you know, for all the work they do and, and, and putting it together and, you know, the teams uh, for, you know, you know, the, the, the 
teams and the high school kids and the college athletes. It's, it's just a great night. I, I really, I just like kind of, you know, sitting back and watching because it's really a cool night. Right. And like the only sort of drawback is that it's that close to tribe fest that a lot of the players aren't in town. Uh, so, so we didn't really get a chance to have any one-on-one time with any of the current players for the Indians there. Uh, and th- th- there really wasn't a lot of access to, uh, to Paul Dolan or Chris Antonetti. They sort of whisked those guys away. And, and I understand why I get it, but you know, it still would have been nice to be able to, you know, interview them or, or get a, a little more complete thoughts on some of the stuff that, that they said on the, uh, on the stage or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I understand why why that didn't happen last night, but again, it sort of felt like uh, you know we were there to to be observers instead of reporters. And, and you, know, you know, traditionally the award the award winners you know do speak to the media. You know, Brown's new coach talked, and people mm-hmm. different people came back to the interview room and talked. It was the Indians' choice not to come back. I mean, and uh, you know, Paul Dolan knows that, and uh, you know, he he could have talked to us. We made requests through uh, Curtis Stanberg as, you know, the PR guy. And uh, he did not, he chose not to talk. It's his choice. But, you know, if you, you know, <laughs> I mean, obviously he, he knows what kind of questions were going to be asked. But, you know, I think he, you know, he, it wasn't like the, the, the questions were anything he's heard before. He hasn't heard those questions before. Right. Okay. But, you know, that was his choice. Well, hey, uh, I, I know um... – We've got some questions we want to get into here uh, from the from the listeners, and then on the other side of it, we'll talk uh, about the Hall of Fame. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the latest in the cheating scandal and 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 whatnot. So, uh, let's jump into some listener questions here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Okay, uh, this is from uh, Joe M in Naples, Florida. Wouldn't it make more sense to try Fran Mill Reyes at first base? His lack of mobility wouldn't be an issue, and he could occasionally spell uh, Carlos Santana. A uh, couple things here. Uh, they've already got a backup first baseman in Jake Bowers playing left field. Uh, lack of mobility would not not be an issue at first base. You need to be very mobile at first base uh, if you're going to play the position well. I wouldn't exactly call Carlos Santana immobile. Uh, and I just can't imagine – Framo Reyes is a big dude. I can't picture Framo Reyes having any sort of footwork or hands to, to be able to play first base. I, I, I just can't see it. Yeah, I mean, every time we've asked uh, um, Francona, which has been often, about Reyes playing first base, you look at him, you know, the guy's 6'5", 280 pounds. He looks like, a, you, know, the, a ster- uh, you know, the prototypical – uh, uh, first baseman, and he says no. He's he, and I mean it's just a flat out no. And obviously they know something that we don't. And uh, so I, you know, I think, uh, and you know, like you were saying, Joe, everybody, everybody, you know, I, I remember talking to Mike Hargrove about this, and he, you know, he was a very an excellent first baseman. And he goes, everybody thinks anybody can play first base, but you know, when you get over there, you're you're touching the ball more than anybody on the infield. You're, you're, you're handling the ball every play. You know, you have to, you have to be able to move. You have to be able to, you know, you have to be, you know, do the cutoffs, do the bunt drills, you know, and it, it's not as easy as everybody thinks. You just don't stick a stiff over there. Well, and just look at how, 
how it, it not necessarily how long, but it took Carlos Santana time to develop into a good first baseman defensively. And, and this is a guy who was a catcher and a third baseman. He, he, he's, he's actually a very good defensive player. But, you know, if somebody's got the skill to play catcher, that's a good natural transition to move over to first base. It still took Carlos Santana a few years to, to develop into an adequate glove over there. Yeah, and he, you know, I mean, and they kind of had to, uh, you know, when Manny Acta was a manager here, he, he, he played Santana at first base to give him a day off to rest his legs from catching. But, you know, and then, you know, so I think, you know, Carlos's initial reaction to playing first base was like it was a vacation. And, uh, but when Francona came over here, he said, Hey, you've got to, you've got to play a lot better defensively if you want to stay in the lineup and play first base. I mean, and, and Carlos took the challenge and has become, you know, he was a gold glove finalist. What? couple years ago i mean he, he he can play first base now so it, it's not as easy as people think all right okay this is from uh steve uh, stephen gooden from novelty should we prepare for players on opposing clubs to exact vengeance on the uh on on the houston astro astros cheaters parentheses altuve springer etc during the early weeks of the upcoming season uh, the thought of seeing some of those cheaters getting plunked and taking out by hard slides with good fans something to really look forward to. Or will we have to wait until these cheaters are retired and watch them be denied induction into Cooperstown year after year by the Hall of Fame voters? Wow. Well, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's, an, there's an aspect that really, really hasn't been brought up or talked about, but uh, you know, with the exception of like Beltran, but uh, – yeah, I wonder how hard it's going to be for some of these guys to get into Cooperstown if uh, if their their careers pa- uh, track that way. Uh, as far as you know, lighting these guys up, uh, you've heard Mike Clevenger certainly hint at it or talk about it. Uh, his 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 tweets uh, that he, that he shared uh, were that some of these guys shouldn't ever feel comfortable stepping into the box or shouldn't you know look look anybody in the should feel embarrassed to look. Uh, honest players in the eye, I guess. Um, I I don't know. I I could maybe see some guys getting buzzed uh, a, a few times, but intentionally thrown at. I don't think you're you're going to see too much of that. No, Joe. I don't think you're going to see that at all. I mean, if if you know, it seems like everybody knew that the Astros were doing something, uh, you know, under the table here you know, in 2017 and 2018, why were, why were, you know, teams changing signs whenever they got to Minute Maid Park and, you know, going, you know, so if, if they were going to do that, if they were going to throw inside, if they were going to knock somebody off the plate because of that, they would have done that. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it, baseball isn't played that way anymore. You know, the, the, uh, the, you know, there's a risk of suspension. The umpires can throw you out. They don't have to issue a warning to a pitcher. They can just throw you out of the game. You know, if they think you're, you, you know, you threw it a batter. So, you know, these guys had their chance. If they were going to react that way, they would have done that a long time ago. I mean, this has been going on for two, you know, two and a half years. So, I mean, it, it's, it, makes, it makes sense. You know, if you think somebody's stealing your signs, you know, you, you throw inside and you say, hey, I know what's going on here. Knock it off, you know. And, but no one ever did that. And uh, you just wonder, you know, how would uh, uh, Don Drysdale have reacted to that? <laughs> 
or Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson was the one. Yeah, Bob Gibson's the one who would probably have, have beamed a couple of guys. But yeah, yeah. But so, but that that the game is not played that way anymore. You well, know the restrictions. You know you can't if you retaliate if you throw at if it, you know if you if a pitcher gets thrown at he's out of the game. I mean, if a pitcher throws at a hitter. He's out of the game most likely, and it's intentional. And then the other team can't react, you know, can't retaliate. So, you know, different rules have, have changed the uh, the way players police the game. And I think maybe the best, you know, reaction or action is going to be for a guy like Mike Clevenger, and the most satisfying, you know, thing is going to be to just strike those guys out. You know, strike out Alex Bregman, strike out Jose Altuve. And and maybe react a little bit after that. Uh, you know, you might see some some fist pumps or you know some sort of emotion there. Uh, you know, I, I can definitely see Clevenger uh, maybe reacting a little bit yeah. to to a strikeout like that. But in terms of you know throwing at a guy, it, as long as the threat is there, I don't think they ever have to actually act on it. Yeah, and as far as these guys, you know these you know the Houston Astros. Uh, maybe getting denied, you know, entry into Cooperstown. Well, let's – first of all, let's see how their careers go. You know, right. These guys still have a long way to play. But uh, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see now if, if, you know, if they've learned their lesson, if they've taken down the, uh, the video board in, in, the, in the tunnel, if they, you know, turned off the center field camera and, no, and put that trash can away. I mean, if, if, they, if they're not cheating – now, what happens to Altuve's numbers? What happens to Bregman's numbers or mm. Springer's numbers from here, from this point on? You know, if they if they tank, if they tank, you know, well, you know, something was something was up. But right. if they keep playing at at the high level that they played at, you know, I, I don't think that'll that'll enter into the Hall of Fame induction. Right. Really. And as far as as far as guys who even have a chance there, Justin Verlander would be the the only real lock that I would I would look at their roster and say he's he's a guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame, and he had Hall of Fame credentials before he even came to Houston. Yeah, so. and and we still don't know what were the pitchers how how did that how did the cheating uh, obviously it affected their one loss record if you're Verlander, but did that help him? You know, did that help? Uh, right. Uh, well, you know, and it, it it was it was a pitch it was a pitcher from that 2017 team that. Sort of started this whole thing by yeah. Mike Fires, so, so yeah, I I can't imagine, I can I can imagine that the the locker room might have even been a little bit divided about it between pitchers and hitters there, too. You, the the pitchers kind of look over at those guys and Alex Cora doing those things and, and saying, hey, you know, this isn't cool. This is putting all pitchers at a disadvantage. Right. So, you know so. But obviously it was a team-wide thing because, you know, that's what uh, Manfred's uh, report said. You know, that everybody on the, on, the, on the roster knew what was going on. Okay, we got the next question. Um, am I the only uh, – this is from Chuck from Medina. <clears throat> am I the only person who, great, who was greatly disappointed that the Tribe did not come up with a new uniform patch? I've been waiting for the past year plus, plus for something, a feather – Tomahawk teepee, a new realistic chief, something, something. I'm amazed that a supposedly cash-strapped team passed on what could have been a strong marketing and merchandising uh, opportunity. All right. Uh, well, I can 
almost <laughs> almost guarantee you that you won't see a, a feather, a teepee, or a more realistic chief wahoo uh, as any sort of no Native American uh, imagery. I, I don't think is is going to be part of any sort of new team uh, logo or scheme. I, I I really don't think that's going to happen. Um, as as far as the the uniform sleeve patch. I think there's five teams now in the league that don't have a patch on their, their sleeve. Uh, and the Indians are now one of them. Uh, you're talking about teams like the Yankees and, you know, other clubs that you just traditionally haven't had uh, a patch on the sleeve. That doesn't really strike me as a, a big deal. Um, you know, they did go last year with the, the new alternate red jerseys uh, this year. The all the uniforms in Major League Baseball are converting over to Nike, you know, which is another chance of if uh, they're, they're going to have the Nike swoosh on the right upper chest, and uh, you know that's people are going to buy those jerseys. So I don't look at it as a missed opportunity not having the patch on the uh, on the sleeve as you know for marketing or anything like that. But right now, I think the the uniforms are a, a bit plain ish. And I think, yeah, they're, the team is overdue for uh, sort of a, a reimagining or a, a sort of a, an overhaul of their uniforms. I, my, my personal, I, I don't like the road blue uniform. I think it looks way too plain, uh, almost, you know, sort of cheap. But, you know, it, the, those things take a little time to, to – process through and, and get new ones, you know, put in and we haven't heard anything about them, you know, making any changes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, Joe. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, chief Wahoo was such a, uh, was, was so attached to this team and for so long that I think, uh, you know, that if, if they are do the, do come up with a patch, it's, it's not going to be something like you said, that's uh, <clears throat> related to native American, but I, I think there's going to have to be a lot, a lot of thought, you know, put into it. Hopefully, it's it's not a guitar. You know? oh, <laughs> we God. had the guitar with the All Star Game. We've okay, had, we've but, had uh, so many guitars. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but you know, I think they, you know, if they're going to do it, I think uh, it requires some thought. Maybe a couple of years. Maybe we'll see something next year. Right, and and you talk about Chief Wahoo having been around for such a long time, and yeah, he the the image and the the logo was was around for a long time, but as far as being on the uniforms and whatnot, really the Indians had just as many years without Chief Wahoo on their uniforms as they did with him on their uniforms. So, I mean, how much are you really missing by not having him on the uniform? I don't, I, I don't think it's, I, 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 you know, you and I differ on this, but uh, I don't think they're missing anything by not having him on the uniform. I think you can do all sorts of different, things with the the look and and still make it you know look new and modern and fresh so i don't know i agree with that i mean i I like the chief i was a proponent but it was time you know i think it was time for for to make a change right you're not going to have a new nike jersey i mean that's everybody wants a nike baseball jersey come on (laughs) jeez uh all right so yeah i you know there's some great questions there uh, uh from our 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 listeners but uh, again, if you have any that you want to submit, uh, hit Paul or myself up on, uh, on Facebook or Twitter 
and we will try to get to as many of them as we can during uh, our next broadcast here. Uh, as far as let's talk about the, <coughs> the Hall of Fame uh, announcements last uh, uh, this week, uh, Tuesday, the, the word got out, Derek Jeter and Larry Walker, uh, the only two players elected by the Baseball Writers Association of America to the class of 2020. Uh, so they will be going into Cooperstown. Uh, guys like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens uh, saw their vote totals creep up a little higher, but uh, ultimately fall short of that 75% mark. Uh, Kurt Schilling uh, got up to 70%. Looks like he could be in uh, next year. Um, so you're talking time running out for Bonds and Clemens. Uh, Kurt Schilling getting closer. And then you've got Omar Vizquel who's next on the list. And if you look at the way things trend, you know, Omar could, could make a jump next year, could be in the next two to three years. Uh, but more than likely within that seven year window now that, that Omar has, uh, he looks like he's trending towards Cooperstown. Oh, I, I agree totally with you, Joe. He, you know, first year, 38%, last year, 42. Now he's up to almost 53% of the vote. <clears throat> And uh, like you said, seven years of eligibility left. You look at uh, the 2021 and 2022 classes, there's not a Derek Jeter in there. There's not a, you know, a, a, a no, no doubt about it, first ballot Hall of Famer, a bunch of them. So, you know, I think though those, those two ballots are really going to help Omar, you know, just continue to climb. And, you know, you could, like, I think at the – even if he goes to ten, his 10th and final year, I think he gets in. I really do. I'm, I'm confident. I'm more confident now than, than I ever have been. Right. Uh, it, you saw Larry Walker in his final year. I, I think there was a lot of buzz around Larry Walker. Um, it, being in his 10th year, he did get sort of a boost. He only made it by six votes, though. You think yeah. about that. Uh, think about this, Joe. In 2014, this guy barely had over 10% of the vote. In 2014, right, right. from the from the BBWA to so stay he, on the ballot, yeah. dramatic rise, right, and you know, and then as these guys get elected, and you see MLB Network and ESPN do their packages on on their careers, and you, you kind of look and you go, "Wow, why did it take 10 years for this guy to get into the Hall of Fame?" I mean, he's really for for a, a good seven year stretch there, he was probably one of the top five players in all of baseball. Yeah, and uh, you know, of course. You know, Coors Field worked against uh, Walker. Right. You know, it, it really did. It hurt him. But, you know, he, <clears throat> even, bef you know, when he was with Montreal, he was a great player. And, uh, you know, it, it just – sometimes it just takes a while, you know. And, and I think the pressure of uh, when uh, a guy, his, his eligibility is ticking down and uh, the writers, you, you know, kind of bear down on him a little more. Uh, they they want to give him a fair shot. And, uh, you know, we saw it with Edgar Martinez. We saw it with Bert Flylevin, same kind of stuff. So, you know, I think uh, hopefully Omar avoids that and gets in in the next two or three or four years. But, uh, you know, I think he, like you said, he's trending in the right direction. Well, and we saw some of the national writers, uh, guys like Ken Rosenthal and Bob Nightingale and uh, even Jason Stark himself, uh, who's in the Hall of Fame, uh, really sort of come out and in the, the last couple of weeks uh, they revealed their ballots. They said they voted for Omar and they gave reasons why. And now even a guy like uh, 
uh, a Brian Kenny on uh, Major League Baseball Network. He, he he who doesn't even have a vote, I don't think. Um, he he's sort of coming around to the the idea that yeah, Omar's numbers offensively weren't the best, but they were. There's 24 years of them, and he's certainly worthy. And you know, defensively, he's in a class by himself. Yeah, and you know, he he is kind of a you know a decisive. I'm not a divisive. Mm-hmm. kind of candidate you know he, he it, you know the, you got the saber metrics guys on one side saying well you know with defensive metrics that Omar wasn't even really you know as as uh you know a, a, as a force defensively and and they say you know his his offensive numbers were were built in because he played 24 years and you've got the guys that saw him for you know saw his whole career on the other side of it, then it's it's an interesting uh, debate. I mean, just shy of three thousand hits offensively. That that should almost put you in right there. And three seasons of playing more than one hundred and forty games and making five errors or fewer at short at shortstop at shortstop. Uh, there, you, I, I know I don't have to convince you, but yeah. just. Saying those kinds of things out loud, you know, you wonder. And then you watch him, and you just watch him throw a baseball and catch a baseball, and you think the guy's got – he's a wizard of some sort. He, he definitely has some, some sort of magical power, uh, just the way he catches a baseball. So uh, congratulations to Omar on, on, on the sort of the, uh, the surge there this year. And, and we're, the, the clock is counting. We're, we're waiting for it uh, to happen. Um, uh, I also wanted to mention, uh, and I know you, you did reveal your ballot and of course you did vote for Derek Jeter, uh, as, as, as I hope I did (laughs) 300 guys, how, how, I'll be hearing about it. (laughs) How quickly did you run back to your ballot, uh, your copy of the ballot to make sure that you checked that box? One out of 397 voters did not vote for Derek Jeter. Yeah, I was, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I was looking at some tweets and there was a couple, you know, writers that did this said, you know, I, I immediately went back and checked. Right. And I said, God, I, you know, because I didn't take a, you know, I didn't make a copy of the, my ballot. I just wrote it down. And I said, I had to vote for him. Didn't well, I? And, and you're thinking this is the, the way that the ballots are tabulated. It's a paper ballot. It's a check the box and mail the ballot back in, yeah. which is unusual for, you know, even the awards, the the rookie of the year and the manager of the year, the MVP, all that's taken care of online now. That that's how we vote for those awards. Right. But this ballot is still traditionally a paper ballot, and uh, you could totally see somebody screwing up and, and making a a mistake that way. But apparently, this is a an individual who, uh, in I guess in two weeks, they reveal all the ballots that wanted to be made public. But if this guy didn't check off that box in terms of making his ballot public, we may never know who yeah. the, the mystery voter was, just like we don't know who the, the three guys who didn't vote for Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, we, we don't know who those guys are. Yeah, and you but, go back in history, Joe, it's interesting. I think I was uh, – Bill Lucy, who I think uh, kind of uh, – you know, he's on my uh, Twitter and he's a, you know, uh, a baseball researcher. He said like 36 guys didn't vote for DiMaggio. Oh. <laughs> what? I mean, it's just crazy stuff like that, you know. 
How did and okay, so thirty six guys didn't vote for him, and he uh, he still got in. There couldn't have been. And I think yeah, I don't know if he, got, if he was the first ballot guy. He would have to be, wouldn't he? Oh my goodness! But it's you know, so there's a lot of cases like you know that's why Rivera's the only uh, you know guy to yeah, vote that's on the unanimous. And stuff. so so Jeter, instead of being the second unanimous uh, selection, he becomes the the highest uh, vote total uh, not to be unanimous, which is right. You know, which is significant in of itself. I mean, he. he 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 passes Griffey in that in that regard, but but still, there's no way you look at Derek Jeter's career and you you don't say automatic first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I just I don't I don't get that. But wow, okay. Uh, and like we said, uh, Walker's in uh, in in uh, by six votes, which is you know pretty impressive to do after ten years. Uh, yeah, definitely. Let's uh, let's move on. Uh, there's more. Uh, in terms of the Houston cheating scandal uh, and its uh, sort of uh, you know aftermath and, and whatnot, the the Mets have hired Luis Rojas. Uh, they promoted from within to fill their managerial position. Uh, this is a guy who never played in the big leagues, uh, yet he's he's going to take over for uh, Carlos Beltran, who who never got to manage a game for for the Mets, uh, and, and whether or not he ever gets a chance to manage in the big leagues remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess it's a it's a good call. I think, uh, you know, I, I, uh, Ross has been in the organization for a long time. Uh, he, he, you know, he came up, he managed in the minor leagues for him, so he knows a bunch of the, the players. And we'll, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, so we'll see. It's, it's, you know, it's you. I, I think he signed a three-year deal, but it's almost like the Mets are plugging in a guy bef- until maybe you know a higher-profile guy come, becomes available. But they could have hired you know Buck Walter or, right. or uh, you know they had a bunch of guys out there that that they could have talked to. And uh, uh, but we'll see how it happens. It's an interesting choice. I think it's uh, you know kind of an organizational choice. You know what I'm saying? Just stay kind of low profile, keep it in the family and we'll see what happens. Right. And some of the names being, uh, you know, rumored about for the Boston and Houston jobs, uh, at least the Houston job seems to be more, uh, tr- uh, trending towards a veteran guy like a dusty Baker or Buck Showalter, like you mentioned, uh, or those, those are the kinds of guys that they're trying to lure out and, and, and sort of vet out. Um, I don't know which way Boston's going to go in, in terms of are they going to go younger. I mean, they went younger and, and analytic with, with Cora. Uh, are they going to stay on that path as well in Boston? Yeah, I think, you know, the Mets, have, the Mets didn't have the problem that, uh, that the Red Sox in Houston do if they stay internal because if they hire, the, <clears throat> if they hire a bench coach, uh, you know, A.J. Hinch's bench coach or somebody from his staff, or somebody in Boston from Cora's staff, if 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 they were all in on it, right? They were right. all they're cheap. all, they're all so tainted. If yeah. You want to turn the page and and start clean. You've got to go outside the organization. All right. Okay. Well, uh, it's uh, been a it's kind of a busy week so far, but uh, we're we're trending towards uh, Tribe Fest coming up next week. A good chance to get out and see all the players and and interact with them there for the fans. Uh, looking forward to, you know, at least 
getting some face, getting some sort of face time possibly uh, with, with those guys at some point uh, before tribe fest next week uh, and, and see how their off seasons are going. Uh, anything else going on, Paul? No, you know, I thought it was interesting, uh, Joe, that uh, Atlanta signed Osuna <clears throat> to a one-year deal. And you kind of, if the Indians are still looking for an outfielder, and I don't think, you know, Castellanos is obviously out of their price range. But I'm wondering about Puig. You know, is Puig still on the horizon there? I mean, maybe late February, early March, if, you, if he's unsigned, do they, do they bring him back on a one-year deal, one-year, $8 million, or can they get him on something like that? Why, why are other teams not, you know, going after him as, as hard as – I mean, this is a guy who up until the last couple of years had, had been, you know, one of the top producing uh, outfielders in the, in the National League. Yeah, I think, you know, I think he's got a lot of unba- baggage to unpack. And, he, he, you know, he played okay in Cleveland, but, you know, he didn't show the power that, that everyone thought. I thought he had a great first half with Cincinnati. But, uh, and, but when he came over to Cleveland, he really didn't <clears> – <throat> his production kind of dropped off. Uh, he was on his best behavior for most of the time. But uh, I think, uh, you know, that's a tough combination. And what is he, 30, 29, 30? So he's, you know, I don't know. He's, it's, I don't think – Not exactly old. Guy. Yeah, I don't think you're going to – he's not the kind of guy you're going to sign for three or four years. You know, right. I mean, who knows what they're asking for. You know, I'm sure – that's that's what his representatives are looking for. Right. All right, Paul. Well, it was uh, good to talk to you. I know uh, you've got a, an, an event to get out to uh, this afternoon uh, with with Charlie Nagy. Uh, so hopefully you get some some good time with uh, with Charlie, and uh, we will uh, touch base again with you next week on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe. Thanks, man.